If I come to y'all's house later, you know why. Um, but I'm so grateful to be here with you guys. And we're going to be looking at Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. So if you would, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Haggai chapter 2, starting at verse 1, it says this. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Isn't that as not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we get together to talk about something that's worth talking about, which is your mission, Father. If there's anything that's worth giving our life up for, giving our finances, it's the fact that your gospel would go out and transform lives, Lord. As we just look at your word briefly tonight and we want to gain encouragement, I just ask, would you encourage us where we need to be encouraged? Would you... um, convict us of sin where we need to be convicted but would you most of all help us fall more in love with your son Jesus would we have a big picture of Jesus that we see that you are the only thing that's worth giving all our love and devotion to father it's in your name we pray amen you guys may be seated um, a little bit more about me, so um, my name is J.I., my wife's Megan's here, and um, about 2016, I was born and raised in Amarillo, Texas, but moved to Philadelphia to go to seminary. Um, that's where I met my wife. Um, we got plugged into a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church, and I got to be a member there. I actually got to go on staff, and that's where I got to see church planting for the very first time. And that's where I got the bug. I was like, man, this is something that's needed. This is how the gospel goes out and saturates communities. And I would love to go back to Amarillo, where I'm from, and the Hispanic community that I grew up in went to church in, and I would love to see a new gospel work take place there. And about 2019, uh, my parents' church, which is on the east side of Amarillo, uh, predominantly uh, Mexican-American or or Latino, um, reached out and said, hey, we want to be replanted. Um, or restarted, really, and I was like, oh, you're talking about a replant? Uh, and Redeemer Christian Church, and I remember it was a sister church of our church in Philadelphia, they reached out saying, hey, we're opening up this church planting position, and we want to go on the east side of Amarillo. Would you be interested? And I was like, man, this is, this is not coincidence. And so I prayed about it with my wife, and we reached out to Pastor David at Redeemer and said, hey, there's an awesome opportunity for a new gospel work on the east side with this church called Emmanuel. What do you think? And he said, man, let's make it work. Let's make it happen. So uh, we, we came back to Amarillo in 2020 in the midst of a pandemic. 
And we spent two years preparing and training, and then we launched City Light Church, which was a replant of that church, the predominantly uh, Mexican or Latino church in East Amarillo um, this past August. And you guys, as our family, have supported us and prayed for us, and I just want to let you guys know that because of your support, because of your prayers, there's gospel seeds being planted, not just in Guatemala, not just in Peru, not just in Mexico, but also in Amarillo, Texas. Um, God is using you guys to plant seeds, and, and glory be to him, but thank you so much for how you have supported us, and that, that honor is yours as well. Uh, but before I start crying, I'm going to get us back into our text. So, um, but as we look at Haggai chapter 2 tonight, um, what we're going to learn about is actually one of the biggest and most um, dangerous threats there is to uh, the mission of God or, or to God's people engaging uh, in mission. Um, I know some of the hermanos here, the brothers, will tell you, um, even uh, the pastor and your elders here will tell you that um, one of the dangerous things as it comes to the church or to mission really isn't finances or, or strategy or, or even resources. Those things are very important and we need those things. Um, but one of the, the biggest dangers to mission, uh, one of the, the, the weapons that the enemy can, that uses against the people of God or, or one of the things that can cause missional paralysis in the, the people of God is discouragement. One of the biggest dangers there is, is discouragement. And before we dive into that idea, let me just kind of take a moment to recap the book of Haggai for you so you can kind of see why we're, we're looking at it. So the book of Haggai was actually written to God's people Israel who had just spent 70 years in exile in the nation of Babylon. They came back, their homes were decimated, their economy was decimated, so they began this reconstruction, this national reconstruction process. But they were called by God not just to reconstruct their, their city in Jerusalem and their country, but actually they were called to reconstruct the temple that Solomon had built all the way back in the day. So really their, their main call was to build up the house of God. But as we look in chapter 1 of Haggai, we see that about 18 years later, the people have all completely just abandoned the construction process of the temple. They've abandoned this, this, this process that God had asked them to do. And what we have to see is that the temple was so important because it was actually patterned after the Garden of Eden. See, the Garden of Eden was this temple garden where God would dwell with his people and it's from that place that his glory was going to be sent out to fill the entire world. So when God called his people to this mission of rebuilding the temple, what he was actually calling them to do is take part of his mission for his glory to be seen and his glory to be sent out into the world. And that's really the heart of mission. That's what we're talking about today, um, tomorrow, on Sunday, is God's glory being seen and his glory being sent out into the nations. So in chapter 1, Haggai calls the people back to that work, and he, he reminds them that now is the time to build God's house. Now is the time to engage in mission, and God was going to empower his people um, and give them what they need to engage in the mission. But as we get to chapter 2 and we get to our passage, we see that it's been about 21 days since the people got back on mission, got back to the construction of the temple, and yet they experienced some powerful, powerful and discouragement that almost jeopardizes the whole, the entire reconstruction process. And we look in, in verse 3, and we see why the people were so discouraged. Verse 3 says this, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? 
Is it not as nothing in your eyes? See, basically with these questions, what they're showing us is that while the people were building, they were remembering the previous glory of the original temple and saw how the current one just wouldn't, wouldn't look the same. And that powerfully, powerfully discouraged them. And as God's people today, we see that because of the greater temple Jesus, that God's glory is seen and sent out now in this redeemed group of sinners being brought together into this family called the church. It's through the local church and the building up of the local church that God's glory is seen and sent out to the nations. It's where missionaries are equipped and church planners are equipped to be sent out into communities and to plant more churches that go on to do that and plant more churches to do that. I hope you guys understand that you as the local church, you as Liberty Baptist, you guys are God's plan A for the mission of God. Not plan B, not plan C. You guys are God's plan A for the gospel going out and saturating communities all over the nations. And even though our call is to build up the house of God, to build up a missional church, we can still experience discouragement on this side of eternity. When things don't go the way they're planned, when numbers aren't the way they are, when the finances aren't there, when, when you've been rejected, there is plenty, plenty of opportunity for discouragement. But I want, to, I want you to hear from the text how God engages the discouragement of his people. He says it later on. He says, I am with you. In the midst of our discouragement, he says, I am with you. He encourages his people. He doesn't belittle us. He doesn't say, just get over it. No, he says, I am with you. And that's really going to be our big idea. That as we struggle with the main point of our text, the, the big idea that the challenge that's given to us is this. God encourages his builders. The big idea for tonight is God encourages his builders. And from our text, we're going to see the two ways God encourages his builders as they engage in the mission of God, as they engage in building up his house, the local church. God um, encourages his builders by one, through his grace, and two, through his glory. Through his grace and through his glory. So let me start with that first one. God encourages his uh, builders through his grace. And we see that in verses 1 through 5. So let me just reread those verses for you real quickly. Starting at verse 1, it says, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your mists. Fear not. So when we look at these first opening verses, we see that the people's main discouragement, and we mentioned this earlier, is that they were, their thoughts and their minds were filled with the memories of the past glory of the former temple. See, many of the people's minds were filled with the memories. They were old enough to remember how beautiful the original temple was. They remember the beautiful craftsmanship, the, how it was plated with gold. 
And even more, that, that the temple ideally represented a people who were zealous for God. They were on fire for God and his mission for his glory to be seen and be sent out into the nations. And now as they look at this construction process of, of rebuilding the temple, they realize because of the lack of resources and the economy, it just wouldn't look the same. It, they wouldn't have the same beautiful craftsmanship. And even more, uh, the, the community that was rebuilding it, the people that were rebuilding it, weren't the zealous, on-fire people for God. They had to constantly be reminded to get back on mission. They weren't the elite all-stars in the church, if you will. And when they saw that, they, they just felt this wave of, of discouragement. They felt like, this isn't going to be the same. And what we have to see is that what the people were doing with that, with that comparison is that they were focusing in on something called the gap. The gap. They were focusing in between the gap of a past ideal and, and the present circumstances. And by default, what that gap was doing is it was influencing the way they saw the mission of God. It was filling their minds with thoughts like, is this even worth it? Will, will this lackluster temple actually make an impact? Could we make an impact? It, things just won't be the same and, and it just won't work out see the gap was influencing them and even though we as the people of god today we're not building up a physical temple per se but but we do have that experience of the gap actually influencing the way we see things too the way we see the mission of god maybe some of you here tonight you've you felt the gap when when you think about um, how a past time when church services just hit you just right. They got you going. You know, they had you going with the Holy Ghost hop almost kind of thing. You know, like, got you going. And, and then um, you went, you were serving all the time in church. You went on missions trips. And you were boldly sharing the gospel with everybody. But, but today, man, church services just, man, just don't hit you like they used to. You, you hardly serve at all. You haven't gone on a mission trip in years. Or, or man, you, you, you haven't shared the gospel really with anybody. Or maybe for some of you, you remember a time when you were part of this amazing evangelistic ministry like Crew or FCA, and you were just preaching and, and evangelizing the gospel, and you were seeing people come to Christ, and you had this deep, deep fellowship with your, with your brothers and sisters in the ministry, and you had this closeness, and yet today you, you feel like you lack those types of relationships. You've, you've graduated into a new life stage, and you don't, have that, you don't have that type of closeness with people anymore. Or maybe for some of you, you just feel the gap when you read scripture and you see how, how awesome and impactful the early church was and reaching the community and planting churches and, and missionaries and all those things. And yet you look at the church today and it doesn't feel like it, it looks the same. It's a far cry from what we read in, in the book of Acts or any, anything else in scripture. You know, for me, I, I'll be personal. You know, for me, I, I feel the gap when I think about my old community group back in Philadelphia uh, when I moved to Philadelphia and became part of our church, the church there, we, I joined up a, with a community group, and it was a very, a very special time for me. Um, we, we had, I had nights where I was in tears when I saw we were gathering around the Word, and the Word was just, God was just speaking to me, and, and we had times of worship in this group, and, and we would talk and, and confess sin and pray for one another. We, we invited atheists and Hindus and all these people to come, and we were boldly telling them the gospel, and then we were living right by a, 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 comp, a college campus, and we would go out and do evangelism on that campus. It was a very, a very special time in my life. And then we, we move back to Amarillo, we launch our new church, and we launch our community groups, and I'm like, yes, it's going to be just the way it was. I'm, oh, I'm excited. And yet, all the evangelism we're doing, and we're inviting people, and yet some, some don't come. 
And the ones who do come, some stay, some don't, and they come to group, and they don't ever come back. Uh, the, because of weather, we cancel groups sometimes, we don't. And I'm, I'm sitting here, and the thoughts have crossed my mind. Is this going to be the same? Is it going to be as special as I remember it is, like that's a sweet time in my life? Or will things ever be the same? See, the gap gets you thinking that way. Gets you thinking that way about the mission of God. But just hear once again how God engages, engages our discouragement, engages when we, when we deal with the gap. He says it right there in the text. He says, I am with you. I am with you. He gives them a promise. He says, I am with you. And, and that promise back in chapter 1, we, we read it there before, but in, in, in chapter 1, the promise is really a promise of security and comfort saying, I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to empower you to do mission. But as we get to chapter 2, when he repeats this promise to be with them, it turns into a promise of grace. And if you want a simple definition of grace, you can define grace as this. Grace is God showing favor and love to his undeserving people. Favor and love to his undeserving uh, people. And I love how my pastor in Philadelphia, how he describes how this promise of grace is working in the book of Haggai. See, what what God is doing with this promise of grace is he's telling the people to take their eyes off of themselves and put it on God. He's telling the people, he's saying, yes, I know there's a gap, but take your eyes off of you and put them on me. Because I'm gonna promise you my grace. I'm gonna give you my spirit. And that promise of grace, my grace that was powerful enough to free you out of Egypt, that grace that was powerful enough to bring you out of exile in Babylon is gonna be powerful enough to comfort you and build you up as you engage in the hard, hard mission of building up the temple. As you take part of my mission to let my glory be seen and sent out into the nations. God's giving them exactly what they needed. He's giving them himself. And as God's people today, that promise of grace actually hits us even on a deeper level. Because of the greater temple of Jesus, God isn't just promises his spirit for particular projects, but he promises that his spirit will dwell with us. See, because of Christ living the life we can never live, dying the death we deserve, resurrecting and ascending to the right hand of the Father, now he sits there pouring out his spirit on the church and empowering us for mission. He's pouring out his spirit and it's empowering us. And that that spirit was powerful enough to raise you from death and to new life and it's powerful enough to comfort you and give you what you need to engage in the very hard mission of God. And I hope that dawns on us tonight. I hope that truth just weighs on you. That when we are discouraged and when we're hurting, God doesn't give us any false platitudes. He doesn't lie to us. When, When we're discouraged and when the mission is hard, he doesn't sit there saying oh, man, it's cool, you know, um, just get over it. Or, you know, he'll say, oh, it's all their fault. No, it's all their fault. Don't worry about it. Or, oh, just, just do you. Get, get the haters out of your life. Try this new program. No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, yes, there is a gap, but take your eyes off of you. Put them on me. My grace is sufficient for you. I love how the Apostle Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He says it like this. But he, God, said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God encourages his builders with his sufficient grace. He encourages you, Liberty, with his sufficient grace. 
So we talked, that's a lot of big theology, good theology. Let's bring it down on the, on the shelf. Let's just apply it. Let me ask you a question. What would it look like for you to embrace God's grace as you engage in the mission of God? What would it look like for you to embrace God's grace as you engage in the mission of God? You know, and I know we, when we reflect on this question, you know, a billion ideas could pop into our mind, but, but I believe that we should look into the text and allow the text to kind of shape the way we can respond. So if you look back in those verses, you'll see that God gives three commands. He says, be strong, work, and fear not. So this evening, I just want to condense all that into just two basic steps for you. So to engage and, and embrace God's grace as you engage in the mission of God, one, let God's truth be the main truth you listen to. And then two, keep working. Let God's truth be your truth and keep working. So for example, if you're here tonight and you feel discouraged because you feel the gap in, 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 in when it comes to the church or when it comes to missions or when it comes to anything, like instead of listening to social media, instead of listening maybe even to the voice in your head or anything else, turn to God's word. Listen to his truth. Listen to his promises. Listen to, to what he wants to do. Listen to what his promises as the mission of God goes forward. And then keep working. Preach to yourself the mission and promise of God and keep engaging in that mission. Not because you're so great, not because you're so strong, not because it's just, it's just gonna happen. No, because God is so great, because God is so strong, because God is so gracious. Liberty, yes, the church on this side is imperfect. Yes, the mission of God is hard, but his grace is enough for you and it's enough for me. I hope you embrace that. But, but let me real quickly just finish up our passage. So we see that, that God will in, in, um, encourage his builders not just through his grace, but also through his glory. And we read that in verses 6 through 9 of Haggai. So let me reread those for you real quick. Starting at verse 6, it says this. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So in these last couple of verses, we see God, uh, he, he makes this statement about how he's going to shake the land, the sea, and the nations. And if we're going to understand what, what, what he's talking about in these verses, we've got to focus in on that word shake. See, Haggai uses that word to remind the people of God of God's overwhelming and superior and beautiful um, rule over the entire universe his sovereign rule over everything in creation. And what he's saying is that God is going to sovereignly move within time and in history to make sure that the temple would be built, to make sure that his glory would be seen and be sent out into the nations. And really, this divine promise has a present and a future aspect to it. So let me just kind of flesh those out real quick. So for the present... Haggai's people saw this, God fulfill this promise um, in the book of Ezra, where King Darius um, of, of the nation of Persia guaranteed complete funding for the temple to be rebuilt. 
God moved to make sure that there was the finances necessary for the temple to be rebuilt. Basically, um, the Persian Empire, which was comprised of all these Gentile groups, these non-Jewish groups, were going to provide the funds necessary for God's glory to be seen and be sent out into the nations. And maybe let's, let's, stick, let's stick on that present part right there. So presently, even though the local church is what God uses to, to spread his mission, to spread the gospel, to saturate communities, to plant churches, to go on, to plant churches, to go on and plant churches, um, that's great. But on this side of eternity, the, the local church is not perfect. Uh, City Light Church, what we, what we just replanted, is a baby church, five months old. <laughs> Man, we're, we're not perfect. But we have, in the last five months, seen evidences of God's glory. We've seen people in the last few months, we've seen marriages be healed through the power of the gospel, through repentance and faith. We've seen people who thought they were so far off from Jesus declare trust in Jesus and become part of the church. We've seen people who were crippled from anxiety and couldn't be outside at all walk in the freedom and healing of Christ and become part of the body of Christ. And it's not because we have special programs. It's not because our building looks good because it still really doesn't. Um, it is, it's not because of anything. It's only because God has been so gracious and so merciful to reveal his glory with this redeemed group of sinners coming together to sit under the preaching of the word, to repent, to pray, to take the sacrament, and his glory is seen and will be sent out into the nations. And, and let's be real. Liberty is a great church, but on this side of eternity, your pastors and elders will tell you, it's not perfect. But God has powerfully, powerfully used you to display his glory and to be sending it out into the nations. The fact you guys are so welcoming, you've welcomed me and my wife into your family. You've equipped and sent out missionaries into Peru and all these other places in Mexico. The, God's glory is being sent out from here. You're saturating Dalhart with, with the gospel Sunday after Sunday and in your homes and in your own personal evangelism. God is using Liberty Church to saturate this place with his gospel. His glory is being seen and being sent out. And it's not because y'all are so, I love y'all. It's not because y'all are perfect, but it's because he is so merciful and gracious to use a redeemed group of messed up sinners like you and me for his glory. And the only thing we can say, we can't brag about this, but the only thing we can say is praise God for that. So present, that's the present aspect of, of God's glory. But what about the future? Well, in the text, God says that, that the latter glory of this house, he's talking about the temple, will be greater than the former glory. Man, if you think about it, that's a bold claim, because if, if what we've been reading about the temple is true, the, the temple really didn't look that good. That's a really bold claim. But if we read through the, through the whole list of verses, there's a lot of unique things going on. I mean, God is saying that the, that the Gentiles are going to come, the non-Jewish people groups, and they're going to come and give to the building of the temple as if they're part of God's people and they're serving to build up the mission of God. Um, he's talking about how the, the building of God's house and that his glory is going to be filled with, uh, his house is going to be filled with shalom or peace, and that peace is going to be sent out into the world. That's some unique stuff. But really, all this creative language is pointing us to another prophetic book, the book of Isaiah. Let me read to you Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4 real quick. Look how Isaiah talks about the future glory of the Lord. He says this, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. 
and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and the peoples shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. See, what God's doing with all this creative language is he's pointing his people to the day to where the temple will be the center of the world. And the, the nations will come and serve and worship the Lord. And it's where the temple will from there that it will be filled with peace or shalom. And his shalom will go out to fill the entire world. He's pointing his people to the day where God will eternally come to dwell with his people. And his glory will forever fill the entire world. And as the people of God today, we need to see that all of this is fulfilled in Jesus. Because of Jesus, the one who is God dwelling with us, that because of his life, his death, and his resurrection, he's redeemed a, a, a broken and messed up group of sinners and brought them into this family called the church. It's in this group of redeemed sinners that we become a movie trailer of the future. We become a taste of the day when God comes back and his people gather from every tribe, nation, tongue, and we'll come to worship him forever. We'll be completely satisfied because we'll have him. It'll be the thing we never want to stop and it never will be. And the day will come and he will, he will come and he'll take away all evil, he'll destroy all sin, and he'll make this creation new once again. And when we talk about missions, when you're supporting missions, when we're building up the local church, what you're doing is you're not only proclaiming a present glory, you're proclaiming a future glory. You're telling people what their hearts are crying out for, what they want is a new creation, they want to be free from sin, and that day is coming in Christ Jesus. And you are proclaiming that in the mission of God. That's why liberty exists, that's why city light exists. You guys are a taste of the future. You are a taste of the future glory of God. And that's why missions is worth it. That's why the gospel is worth giving everything for. That's why church planning is worth it. It's not because of the program. It's not because we just need something to do. It's because God's glory is so beautiful. It's so powerful, so encompassing from the present to the future. And it's worth giving everything for. God encourages us with his glory. So one last question for y'all before I finish. Here's the question. What would it look like for you to set your eyes on God's glory as you engage in the mission of God? What would it look like for you to set your eyes on God's glory as you engage in the mission of God? And the way you answer that for many different people in the room, it it could be different. So if you don't consider yourself religious, you, you know, your parents dragged you here or however it is, um, the answer for you would to set your eyes on God's glory for the first time, repentance and faith. Confess the ways you've loved everything else over him. You prioritize everything else over his glory and believe that it's only through his son that you can be made right with God. Repentance and faith, that's, I would encourage you to do that. But if you do consider yourself a believer, my encouragement to you Would you encourage that fellow builder next to you, your brother and sister in Christ, of God's glory? 
as you guys work together, as you stumble towards Jesus together, as you build up God's house together and engage in the mission of God together, would you remind your brother or sister of God's glory when times get hard, when you experience discouragement? Good advice is great, but we need to be a people of good news. Would you give them the good news? Would you remind them of God's glory and say, hey, we're, what we're doing here has an eternal impact because it's pointing to the day when God will return and his glory will fill the earth forever. I mean, my wife, I, I, I got to brag on her. She, she's an amazing, amazing example of this. Um, there's been multiple times, not even just in the planting process, but before where I feel extremely discouraged. And she, she doesn't give me really the good advice or she doesn't say, well, get over it or whatever. She just says, hey, remember what we're doing all this for. Remember God's glory. And she'll be good at just pointing out evidences of his glory in her ministry when someone proclaims trust in Christ, when marriages are being brought together through the reconciliation of the power of the gospel. She's like, hey, hey, look, God's glory. Look what God's doing. Look, a little taste of new creation is happening there. And man, that gives, just gives me the power and gives me the encouragement I need to continue to engage in the mission of God. So to end, I just want to leave you with some final encouragement. Liberty, many of you might be tired tonight, and especially the hermanos who are engaging in mission. You guys might be tired of supporting all of this. You may be tired, but man, please be encouraged. Be encouraged with the gospel. That while we were dead in our sins, God in his love sent his son to live the life we can never live, to die the death we deserve, and to resurrect so that we could be made right with God. And look forward to the day when he makes all things new. And that power, that spirit that brought you from death into new life is powerful enough to encourage you and comfort you as you engage in the big, hard mission of God. Liberty, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged and captivated by God's grace and by his glory. Liberty, let's be a family who take our eyes off ourselves and put them on God. Let's be a family who are radically captivated by God's glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I feel like I'm standing with, with giants in this room tonight, not because um, of money, not because of, of all this success, but Father, but because there are people who have dedicated their lives to your mission, abroad and domestically. And as we engage in the rest of the service, as we work, praise you and thank you for your gospel going forward, um, I ask would you open up our eyes as we sing, would we sing with, with the joy in our heart, knowing that your mission's worth everything? Um, would you encourage everyone here to continue to engage in the mission, to build up your church, to, to continue building up and planting and, and strengthening churches to go on and plant and strengthen other churches, Father? Anything that would take our eyes off your glory, would you take it out and would we put it to death and may our eyes just be captivated by how you're worth all our love and devotion. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we, as we engage in worship once more?